So we're turning over to 1 Peter, chapter 2. Reading verses 1 through 3, and we'll continue to focus on Christian growth. First Peter 2, verse 1, here now, the inerrant, infallible, and inspired Word of God. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile, and hypocrisies and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Mr. Thomas Brooks introduces growth, Christian growth here. Listen to what Reverend Brooks has to say. When God is made the one of a man's desires the one of a man's affections, the one of a man's life and comfort, then will he be the one of a man's endeavors too. That obedience that springs from faith when it is not wintertime with a Christian is a fruitful obedience. It is an abounding obedience. It is a progressive obedience. Look as the mercy And favor of God to a believer is not stinted nor limited. So the obedience of a believer to God is not stinted or limited. But now the obedience of hypocrites is always stinted and limited. This command they will obey, but not that. This duty they will do, but not that. This work they will attend, but not that, etc. Well, there's growth and not growth in that quotation for us to look at. So we've been uh, preaching on Christian growth. This will be, I think, the third sermon on growth. In the first week, we looked at growth generally, and then we looked at growth in grace. Then we looked at growth in knowledge. Then we looked at growth in faith. We asked ourselves that question Remember what we said? We said that sometimes we say to one another as parents, we look at someone's son and we say, what are you feeding him? Remember that? And uh, we used to have a saying uh, uh, out in the Antelope Valley in, 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 in California, we'd say, oh, that guy's an east sider. And what we meant by an east sider is someone who, who was raised on the east side of town where they had these farms and he was throwing hay bales all day. What are you feeding him? Right? So, we want to be fed on the Word of God that we might grow by it. That's, how we, you know, that's the metaphor that we use to talk to, to talk to one another about these things. We want to feed upon the Word of God. Um, when Mr. Brooks here uses the word stinted, uh, stinted is an old English word. We use uh, an English word stunted or withheld or stopped up prematurely, Right? The growth is stunted. Stinted was the old English word. We use stunted instead. But it is possible, isn't it, to have our growth stunted. Um, We have noticed, haven't we, over the centuries, as good food, sanitation, and other things have increased, 
that folks are growing taller. Uh, it was not uncommon for someone that was alive in the 18th century uh, to reach the average height man of about five foot six or seven. Now we consider that to be short. Uh, you know, the average height is now more like 5'9", 5'10". Um, and that is due to uh, what, we're, what we're understanding, perhaps better sanitation, better nutrition, better quality food, and so on. But it is possible, like we said, when we say, what are you feeding him? What are you feeding yourselves, beloved? And if you're feasting on the Word of God, if it's not just a taste, but you go on to that full draft, as we said, well, then you will grow spiritually, the Lord blessing that reading by sending His Spirit. We ought not to expect it without feeding on the Word. But if we're feeding on other things, well, then we can expect our growth to be stunted spiritually, to be held up short and this is what we've been talking about. So we talked about what it was to grow in grace. And we said that was the general category, which includes all graces. And what did we say? We said, well, we can sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit. If we sow to the spirit, we reap, we reap life and peace. We sow to the spirit, uh, sorry, to the flesh of the flesh, we will reap corruption, the Apostle Paul tells us. Uh, first of all, to the Galatian churches and now to us. We talked about growth in knowledge, and with, with, with regard to growth in knowledge, we talked about what it meant to, to, uh, to read the scriptures meditatively, not just to mow through. It's okay to mow through, as long as you're also reading meditatively, that you're stopping to ponder, and that you're growing in knowledge, that you're remembering, as we said from John chapter 4, say, the condescension of Christ, completely unexpected. Yet something there in the text for us to stop and ponder and to grow in knowledge with. If Christ stopped at the Jacob's well and he talked with a woman, number two, a woman of Samaria, number three, a woman that was an adulteress, well then he'll talk with us. We can grow in our understanding of who the Lord is. And then third, Last week we talked about growth in faith and so we took some time to talk about little faith and what little faith was about and that little faith is, is in a completely different category from no faith. That little faith is that mustard seed faith which grows into a tree. That by little faith the kingdom of God is established as, as, the, as the people of God look at that mountain and say, be cast into the sea. No obstacle to the kingdom of God, even to little faith. Yet we also said we don't want our faith to remain little faith or mustard seed faith. But with Thomas Watson last week, we said, but the reason the Lord calls it mustard seed faith is because it is a growing faith. It does deepen if, what? If it is fed by the word of God. If you're feeding something else, or if you're feeding on something else, you're not going to grow in that way. So, this week I have two more aspects of Christian growth for you. The first is growth in obedience or holiness. Growth in obedience or holiness. And we'll turn 
First of all, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner or any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. All right, so we have that wonderful phrase, more and more in that passage. Now, let us talk about the Thessalonians for a moment. We'll read in chapter 19 of the book of Acts what went on in Thessalonica when Paul first went there. He preached, and there were a number of Jews and Gentiles that were pretty comfortable with that preaching, pretty excited about it. But then when the Jews saw that the Gentiles were also excited, and perhaps maybe even a little bit more than they were, they were stirred up to jealousy, and they began to persecute Paul, and they ran him out of town. So then they turned their persecution on those who had professed faith in Christ. And if you read about the Thessalonian church in First and Second Thessalonians, you will read how indeed they were persecuted mightily by their own countrymen. Okay. So they obeyed, but they obeyed under very difficult circumstances. Now the apostle will go on here in chapter 4 to talk to them about some other things like many Gentile churches needed to be counseled to do. They could not go worship any longer in the way that they had before. They could not participate in idolatrous worship which included very often fornication. They could not do that. That was not a religious act. That was a sinful act and they needed to be instructed in that and so Paul goes on To instruct them. He says you have obeyed. There's much that you have obeyed. But I want you to obey more and more. I want you to grow in obedience. After that term more and more he will say. For you must remember the commandments that we gave you when we were with you. And one of those commandments had to do with moral purity regarding marriage. Well moral purity regarding marriage is something that our society is certainly in need of. Uh, and certainly because we, are, we live in this society, it is not out of place to talk to ourselves about that. However, it's not what we plan to do. In that we have a seventh commandment admonition here, and we'll take a page from the Apostle James and, and remind ourselves that the law stands or falls together as a unit. We will simply say that if God called on the Thessalonians to grow with regard to sanctification in the seventh commandment, he's calling on them to grow in every commandment. And he's calling upon us to do the same. So notice what he says here in this passage. 
um, you have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God. So you would abound more and more, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Notice commandments plural, and yet he focuses simply on one. So our rationale then is that we're going to pursue obedience in all of God's commands, how they apply to us personally, because we remember, don't we, that not all of the commandments of God apply to everybody the same. You know, in this worship service here, for instance, you have me speaking and you all listening. If one of you said, well, the commandment of God applies to me the same as it does to Pastor Todd, and you stood up and began speaking, we would have a few guys that, were, that would usher you out, I would hope, pretty quickly, so as not to disturb the rest of the time we have set aside for worship. Not every command is the same. If you're driving down the road and you see someone speeding, I'm sure that uh, our resident law enforcement officer would tell you it's not your place to pull him over. It's my place. And there are all kinds of ways that laws apply differently in places and stations, right? In the home, mom and dad are the leaders of the home. Dad is the final authority. Children, you don't get to leave the home. That's up to mom and dad. God has given them that. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. It doesn't say, parents, obey your children. Although that's another problem our society has. So in all of these commandments of God then, we, we do recognize that, that we have to study to know our duty. That it is not sometimes clear and open what we ought to do. And so the Lord is kind and he gives us uh, many examples in his word. And many different places in his word where we can go and learn about what we ought to be doing. He gives us helpers to help us to understand the word of God. And truly it is as the children of God, as those who love God... It is our bent, is it not, to desire to advance in obedience. Let me ask you this, children. Children, do you love your parents? Every one of you are going to say yes, and you ought to. You ought to love your parents, and you ought to confess that you love your parents. Uh, One of the ways you show your love to your parents is by what? Not talking back to them. By... Obeying what they say with cheerfulness, with joy. Children, are you doing that? Now we can transfer that to our Heavenly Father, can't we? And we can think on our obedience toward our Heavenly Father. And let me ask you this second question. Does it grieve you when you disobey your father or your mother? And then transferring that to God our Father. Does it grieve us when we disobey? Well, it ought to, and I believe it does. Perhaps it doesn't grieve us as we ought to be grieved. Perhaps there are times where we put that grief out of our minds and move on sinfully or, carf- or carnally in the way we ought not. And th- certainly we, could, we can confess those sins. But there must be, to some extent or another, a grief regarding disobedience toward our Heavenly Father And so notice what the Lord has promised to us in this. Paul says, I'm praying for you. I desire this for you. And when the apostle tells us that, that also lets us know the Lord's mind toward us in that, that we would grow and increase in obedience. And we're all for that, aren't we? 
Because we desire not to offend or grieve our Heavenly Father. We have a new heart toward Him. And if we don't find that heart in ourselves where, oh, yeah, you know, where it becomes meaningless to us, well, then we, we must examine our heart for those fruits, those signs of life itself. Right? If we're not grieved over our sins, beloved, well, there's, there is something terribly wrong with our hearts. The unbeliever is not grieved, but certainly not the believer. When Paul says to the Thessalonians here, as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so would you, so you would abound more and more. They're right with him on that. Those believers in Thessalonica, they want that. They want to grow in obedience. Beloved, do you, do we desire greater obedience? There are those who think, you know, well, you know, I've, I've, I've done enough. I've obeyed enough. I, my obedience is a, it's a good enough obedience. Beloved, is your father worthy of such an attitude? No. No, what we desire is nothing short of perfection. When God is made the one of a man's desire, is how Mr. Brooks put it. So, let us first say here that this growing obedience that is called for by the apostle here, this is not at odds with us. This sweetly complies with our own hearts. This is what the people of God want. They want a growing obedience. Of course, that requires something, doesn't it? What does it require? It requires an admission, like that same apostle will say in... um, Philippians chapter 3, not that I have attained. It requires the acknowledgement that there is much room for growth in our obedience. It requires a proper knowledge of the law of God. There's a sect of Christianity that teaches what is called uh, perfectionism. Perfectionism. There's a, there's a volume, uh, one whole volume in Dr. Warfield's uh, collected writings that is dedicated to perfectionism. He writes on it copiously. It's a pretty good work. The thing about perfectionism is that it does two things that are deceptive. The first thing it does is it raises up the obedience of a people that were Uh, at one time under the bondage and slavery of sin. And the second thing that it does is it brings the law down to an achievable level. Such that there there are people walking on this earth today that that have written a date down in their Bibles the day that they stopped sinning and began enjoying what they call entire sanctification. There's no room for growth in their obedience. They've already attained. It's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? When we think about growth. Turn with me to Hebrews 5 for a moment. (coughs) 
verse 1, for every high priest is taken from every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men <clears throat> in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity did you hear that even the high priest compassed with infirmity and by reason hereof he ought as for the people so also for himself to offer for sins and no man taketh this honor to himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Christ learned obedience. Even he who never sinned learned obedience. Every new situation that God, man, Jesus Christ faced he faced an opportunity to learn more obedience because he was absolutely man. When the writer tells us here that he learned obedience, it doesn't mean that he was disobedient and then learned to obey instead. It means that at every juncture of his life, at every advancement, at every circumstance, <clears throat> and especially at that time, when he was required by the sixth commandment to plead for his own human life as he did in the garden, he learned obedience, not my will but thine be done to his father. Without sin. Well, the, uh, the comparison then is obvious. You know where we're going with this. If the Lord Jesus Christ learned and grew in obedience, though sinless, where does that leave us? Where does that leave the one who believes in Christian perfectionism or entire sanctification? Yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> with all that said then, uh, let's look at 2 Thessalonians for a moment. Not first, but second. Chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you toward uh, one of you all toward each other aboundeth. You hear that? So faith and charity. What is charity here? It's the Greek word agape. It's the Greek word for love. In other words, in their growing faith, they are also learning to love their neighbor as themselves. They are learning to fulfill the second great commandment of the law. They are growing in obedience. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, <clears throat> verse 58 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, <clears throat> unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so there's the idea of abounding and advancement there as well. So we are to grow in obedience. We must grow in obedience. That's what the Lord has granted to us. And as we said a moment ago, this is a, this is a comfort for us to know that we might grow in obedience. Let me say it to you this way. Maybe this will be of comfort to you. The sins that beset you today don't need to beset you tomorrow. The temptations that you stumble over today, they don't need to be your stumbling blocks tomorrow. The things that grieve you, the things that you wrestle with at night before the Lord when you're all alone, and those disappointments that you yourselves have been to yourself and to the Lord, those don't need to be your disappointments tomorrow, beloved. You can grow. You can advance. In fact, the Apostle Paul requires it of us that we grow and that we advance. And as a good minister, I'm going to require it of you as well. And as a good congregation, you're going to require it of me. We're going to have a mutual care one for another that we will be uh, those encouragers one of another to grow in our obedience to all of the commands of the Lord because we believe in him and we love him. And because we're all looking forward to the day when we'll be fully and forever freed from all sin and misery. Isn't that great? We're being fitted for that day even now. And because we're being fitted for that day even now, we can be, quote, discontent in the right way with our current state that we might move ahead little by little, line upon line, sermon upon sermon, Bible reading upon Bible reading, meditation upon meditation, prayer upon prayer. Feeding always on the word of the Lord. Turn with me um, in, uh, in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> Let me give you a little bit of hope here. Revelation chapter 2. We'll begin our reading in verse 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Stop for a moment with me. Remember how it said in Hebrews chapter 4, all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And then what do we do when we go on in that passage? Do we, do we cringe back from that all-seeing gaze? No, we come boldly to the throne of grace that we, that, we, that we may receive help in time of need. Notice here, in Thyatira, if you read the rest of this section here, you will hear that they were tolerating, quote, that woman Jezebel. 
That doesn't sound a lot like growth, does it? Yet, when Christ, who reveals himself to the Thyatirians, especially to their pastor, as the one who has eyes like a flame of fire, that is, the one who sees all, the first thing that he says to them is, your works are more now than they were before. Does that give you a kind of priority as to what Christ thinks? It should. The first thing Christ mentions to the church is that you're growing, and I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm going to encourage that. I'm going to recognize my work in that. And then he'll go on to help them with even more growth. Get rid of that woman Jezebel. Get rid of that false prophetess. Get her out of the church. She doesn't belong there. Right? More obedience. But more obedience, beloved, springs from some obedience, doesn't it? That's why it grows and ought to grow. So, the Thyatiran church had a problem. We sometimes remember the problem and we forget what Christ commends at the beginning. That their works are more now than they were in the past. And he'll, he'll, he'll say it, uh, works and charity and service and faith and patience and thy works that the last to be more than the first. When they first came to Christ, they had a certain work that characterized them. And now they have more. They have grown in their obedience. Well, these are great things to remember. We want all of us to be growing in obedience. We want to grow together as a church that if there were a letter written to CCRPC by the Lord, that he might say something similar to that. And he might put his finger on those places that we have yet to grow, but we have good confidence in those because we've already grown in obedience. Turn to 1 John chapter 2 with me for a moment. This is a very familiar passage. And it does speak of Christian growth. Verse 12. 1 John 2, 12. I write unto you little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked there's a progression here, it's obvious. I think that those commentators that identify this as a, as a spiritual progression are more on track than those that would, that would say, no, actually John is writing to people of different age groups. I don't think that's right. I think John is writing to people of different spiritual maturity. And so when he would speak to those whom he calls little children... He says that they have known the Father and that their sins are forgiven. And there's something to be said for that. 
They come, they come as children to their father. And their sins are forgiven. Notice it doesn't say anything about their lives. It doesn't say anything about their conduct. It simply says that their sins are forgiven. This is an objective viewpoint from God's point of view. They've called upon God as father. Their sins are forgiven. That's what it says. Then there's another set of people that are spoken of. We hear them and they're called young men. Uh, By young men we would want to use the word maybe uh, advanced adolescent. Not early adolescence but, but advanced adolescent. Someone who's come into uh, his, his manhood such that the strength is being augmented, right? It's being uh, advanced. So what will he say to them? Ye have overcome the wicked one. And then secondly, because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. We might say to such a one, You're you're overcoming the wicked one. What are you feeding him? What does it say? The word of God abideth in you. So this young man has been feeding upon the word of God. It is abiding in him. And the advancement that he has over being a child is what? He has overcome the wicked one. He's no longer under the thumb of the devil in the sense that he's easily beset by him. No, he's not perfect. But he's not easily beset either. He sees temptation. He has a greater discernment. A greater understanding. Then we go to the third group of folks here. and These are, these are called fathers. I think they are fathers in the faith. And notice what is said about them in both instances. Ye have known him that is from the beginning. (coughs) No augmentation, no changing. While there was something that changed between the little children, something that changed with the young men, no changing with regard to the fathers. I wrote to you and I, I write to you and I have written unto you, John will say. My message hasn't changed. And notice what John does here. Do you remember back in chapter 1, verse 1? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled the word of life. Talking of Christ who was from the beginning. And so notice, you have known him that is from the beginning. The other thing that John will say is what? We have no new message to you, but that message that was from the beginning. God is light, in him is no darkness At all. And so now John will take that and he will personalize it to these particular saints. And he will call them fathers for their maturity in the faith. But notice where that maturity takes them. It takes them deeper into the Lord himself in their communion with him. Certainly they are beyond the young men who have overcome the wicked one. Their gaze is not out looking at temptations and how to overcome them their gaze is at the father himself they have learned to commune with the father in such a way that the same word is used here that is often used in scripture of the intimacy of marriage they have known him 
who is from the beginning. And it is on that account then that they are fathers. That is going to include all kinds of Christian growth, isn't it? Certainly it includes obedience as we think of where they have passed through to become these fathers. They have passed through the avoidance of temptation. No longer only can it be said of them that their sins are forgiven. No longer can it only be said of them that they have overcome the wicked one. Now it can also be said that they have known him that is from the beginning. They have a communion with Christ that keeps them pure. Their desires are stronger than simply the avoidance of sin. Their desires now are all for how they might please him who is from the beginning. And they commune with him in that way. So, if you would grow then in obedience, if you would grow in obedience, pick an area in need of improvement and ask the Lord for help. Study to know your duty. Pray for the Spirit's assistance. Confess your disobedience. Move forward with candor and desire and earnestness to please your Heavenly Father. Ask Him to change your affections first. Often, our behavior is not a knowledge problem, is it? There are times when we know what we ought to do. Really what we need is a change of attitude toward the commandments of God. But beloved, you have promises from God to that effect. He will tell you, won't he, in Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26, I will write my law upon your heart. I'll take the stony heart out of your flesh and I'll put a heart of flesh in your flesh and I'll write my law upon that heart and I I will breathe into you a new spirit and you'll walk in my statutes and do them. That's what Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26 tells us. In Psalm 37, verse 21, remember what the psalmist writes there? Well, is that really what I wanted? Nope, that's not the verse I wanted. How about Psalm 40 and verse 8? I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. David said that, yes. He said it prophetically of Christ, but he said it also of himself. Did you have something for me, Josh? 37.4. Well, that's not what I was thinking, but it, but, but it is along those lines. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. There are uh, places in Scripture where we read that the Lord will raise up our hearts to meet affectionately his commandments. We can grow in our affections toward our duty. Uh, Proverbs 3, 1 says, My son, forget not my law, but yet, but let thine heart keep my commandments. He says, let thine heart keep my commandments. De- Deuteronomy 32, 46, the people of God are told to set their heart toward obedience. Another thing that we must do if we will obey the Lord is we must put away, put away the fear of men. Isaiah 51, 7 says, 
Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. So in these uses, what have we seen? We have seen that the Lord has promised us the kind of heart that will rise up to meet Him in obedience. That we are to set our heart toward obedience, Deuteronomy 32. That we are to put away the fear of men, Psalm 51, 7. And then we are to look for that kind of growth in obedience as John has set forth. Number one, the first thing, beloved, you are told that your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Number two, you are told that it is a resistible temptation that the devil brings to you. And you can overcome that. And then third, the Lord opens up his own heart to you and says, Know him who is from the beginning. Come and dine and commune with me. So this is what we pray for in the third petition. When we pray, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Um, I'll leave that discussion to the reading of Deuteronomy 29. Uh, Lord willing, next hour. But just here to say for a moment, when we pray thy will be done, we're not praying for God's decree to come to pass. That's going to come to pass, beloved. It's coming. It's like a train that can't be stopped. What we're praying for is that we will know the will of God as he has revealed it in his word. That we will know the will of God as he has commanded us. We will know what the older divines called his will of command. And when we pray thy will be done, that our obedience would be with that same kind of constancy, with that same kind of desire, with that same kind of affection, with that same kind of cheerfulness, with that same kind of speed, with that same kind of alacrity, with that same kind of devotion as the elect angels obey when God commands them. That's why we say on earth as it is in heaven. So in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, we want to pray that the Lord would take away our natural blindness and replace it with his truth. We're feeding on the word. In Ephesians 3, 16, we want to pray that he would supply our weakness to obey with his inexhaustible strength. In Matthew 26, 40 and 41, that he would grant us a greater desire for obedience, take away our lack of enthusiasm and that of being indisposed to obedience. And rather, give us advancement instead. And in Jeremiah 31, 18 and 19, that he would grant repentance instead of rebellion, that we would turn to him rather than turn away from him. That the Lord would grant that heart toward his commandments, craving the blessings of obedience and his smiling countenance in it. This is what it means to grow in obedience, beloved. We must not expect... That this is something that just, quote, simply comes with age. We must apply our hearts toward obedience. Finally, we want to pray uh, that our our responses to God's secret dealings in decree and providence when they come to pass would not be met with murmuring and complaint, but that we might resign ourselves humbly and cheerfully to the will of God in all things.
This is also what it means to grow in obedience. That we learn how to handle every providence with grace and with the confession that God does all things well. Well, we had an extra long reading in Deuteronomy 28, so we'll not be able to move on to growth in love. But if you want to take a look ahead for next week, I would, uh, I would present to you, uh, open your Bibles up to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, and we can read that passage, and we'll talk about growth in love next week, Lord willing. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. It's a pretty complex sentence here, but I think understandable for most. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel Ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve the things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So we're talking about growing or abounding more and more in love. What kind of love? We'll have to wait till next week. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer. <coughs> Our dear Heavenly Father, we pray that Thou wouldst grant to us that, that advancement that we have looked at in thy word today, a growing obedience. And Lord, we pray that thou wouldst grant us all the means toward that growth, a proper feeding of our souls with thy word, a proper heart to receive, a proper desire toward thy commandments, a proper candor and honesty with our own behavior, a proper growth toward being those who know him that is from the beginning. Learning that our sins are forgiven and that we've overcome the wicked one. And moving on then to that greater knowledge. That we might not fear the face of men and their reproach where we might be tempted to disobey for fear of men. Oh Lord, in every hindrance to obedience we pray, pull it down. And in every easement and facility toward obedience, Lord, lift it up. And be with us as thy people that we would exercise ourselves and prepare our hearts unto obedience day by day. And we thank thee for the encouragements that the sins which beset us today need not beset us tomorrow. That the temptations that stumble us today need not stumble us tomorrow. That the disappointment with ourselves that we experience today over such sins. That we may look forward in hope tomorrow and not disappointment. And that thou hast granted to us the desire of our heart 
which we confess is to obey thee with our strength. We thank thee, Father, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.